there, and welcome to another episode of Unleash Love. My name is Clement Young, and I'm your host. Today, I'll be talking with Maria Katrina Manalo and Ben Alderson. These are two of my best friends from the Philippines. Ben's from the United Kingdom, and Maria is Filipina. I've known them for quite some time, and what strikes me about these two is the strength of their relationship because they've had some personal traumas that are significant and it really requires you to have a strong partner, a strong relationship to be able to stay together and not just stay together throughout those times but to be stronger coming out of them. And I wanted to have a candid conversation, something that I didn't even really edit, just slightly, about the lives of these two, what they've been through, what they've learned, and how they managed that landscape together so that when they did come out of it, they were more aligned with each other and just a lot stronger. So. Again, this is a very con- candid conversation. It, it lasts for about one hour, 20 minutes. I wanted to make that clear to you in advance. Just imagine you're with a group of friends having a cup of coffee in a, in a, in a cafe somewhere. Uh, it's a, we riff off each other, we dive into details, and I really enjoyed it, and I try my best to bring you content that's genuine. So this is all of that. If you like it, please do rate and review it in the Apple Podcast platform. It does a lot to help us get more listeners, uh, and I would really appreciate that. So without further ado, let's dive right into this conversation and say hi to Maria and Ben. It's, uh, it's kind of a weird story. How we, well, not, not so weird. It's kind of, kind of conventional in a way because we, we basically met on Tinder. So, you might not know this about us, but we met in Tinder. Yeah, which really? is always kind of weird. Was already a thing back then? Because I, I thought Tinder yeah. was, I thought you guys were, you know, you met back in 1985. <laughs> I'm just joking. You've been, you've been together for a long time, though, right? Is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, no, no. I, yeah, got it. No, the, it was quite weird because I got, I stayed, so as I was leaving the UK, literally sort of, you know, I got on a plane and took myself to Singapore. And Tinder, I think, was just like I don't even re- I don't remember it being a thing when I was in London. Um, and by the time I got to Singapore, and I'd sort of settled myself in, and you know, you kind of make friends at work, and you develop a bit of a community, and then you start to think, you know, like be nice to you know have a, have a partner in crime. Um, and Singapore's kind of can be a bit of a tricky place because you know it's in, it's in many ways it's very small, uh, and people really kind of know who they know. So if you don't meet someone in those first sort of few weeks, months, and, and that, you know, that, that, that you kind of get on with in that way, um, then you've got to start being a little bit more strategic, right? Because you're not, you're not bumping into new people all the time because it, because it's so sort of circular. So, um, and a lot of the dating apps and a lot of the kind of social like clubs and communities are very Singaporean led and, I, you know, I have not, like nothing against Singaporean people or culture at all, like a lot of friends, but can be quite hard to bridge the expat gotcha. sort of local gap. Yeah. Um, so culturally and, uh, uh, I mean, especially, uh, I guess it works both ways, but no, I don't think a lot of Singaporean parents would have wanted their daughter going out with someone that wasn't Singaporean. I might be wrong, might be wrong, but, um, it's, uh, it can be quite difficult as I say, bridge the cultural gap. And, um, uh, and, uh, so you kind of, 
think like, wow, like when I was in the UK, online dating was what like older people did. Um, you know, it wasn't what young people do that go out and socialize and things like that. And, you know, in London in a city of 15 million people, whatever it is. Right. But in Singapore, um, it's so small that you kind of think, wow, okay. So this is actually a thing now. And then I think because, in, you know, in Asian cultures and Singaporean culture, especially like casual dating, uh, you know, it's not really a thing. Um, so Tinder made it over there, but it was very much actually looking for a you know, genuine boyfriend, girlfriend. And so that's, that's what happens. And, um, I am being an unusual Filipino for that because, Back then, um, that time, being a Filipino and you're using dating app, it's it's a frowned upon thing. It's not really taken seriously, um, especially in the Philippines, you know, Catholic and you need to meet properly, introduced by someone, introduced to you by your aunt or your uncle. So um, that was kind of, um, I don't know, but I've always been a black sheep, I, I'd say, like very different from... Yeah from, uh, uh, you know, typical standards of uh, being Filipina. And so, yeah, so we were, um, we, we were just uh, two individuals who left their, their mother country to explore and, and I guess discover different cultures. And we met through Tinder. But I don't know about you. I was there to look for um, a Blair than a date. I always, yeah. This is my version of yeah. the story. Sure, sure. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I was say that uh, Ben did a really good job of saying that he was looking for a partner in crime because I was worried he was going to say <laughs> something else. I was looking for a belayer because a belayer cost a lot because I, I like to, I, I like to explain that. So okay, she, so she was looking for a climb partner a right? climb indoor partner. climbing uh, partner someone's on the road, right yeah 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 there we go yes. so that's and and um, uh, I had a small number of hours of the climbing wall clocked up in my youth so uh, I responded to the call because um, <laughs> right. I was I was so into rock climbing indoor uh, or wall climbing the, the, the right uh, uh, the better term. I was into that that time and having uh, a rope person, the one who will hold you while you're climbing, cost a lot. So I said, hmm, maybe I'll go to Tinder and check if there will be someone here who will blame me. Yeah. Um, so instead of... Um, I never believe this story. Paying, this is never believe this story. Yeah. Yeah. paying me money, we can just go for a chat about um, so yeah, so in fact, our first date, I invited him um, to a climb gym, and I said, I asked him, "Do you have a? Do you have you climb right?" Because I saw in your Tinder photos, you you said you climb. So I suppose you have uh, wall climbing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, being trying to be cool, like yeah, yeah, I've done some climb, but then. The day of the date came and I just saw this, I saw this box, new pair of shoes still in a box. Um, so he bought uh, a wall climbing shoes and said, I thought you climbed. So why did you just, uh, why didn't you buy a <laughs> yeah, I lost him. Couldn't find him. <laughs> Left him at home. Needed to buy a pair during lunch. Maybe. So yeah, so we went purpose. to this wall climbing gym and we just climbed. We didn't even, you know, had dinner. No, we didn't have dinner after. We didn't even go for a drink. We just met in the climb gym. And then he belayed me and I belayed him. And turns out he's scared of heights. So that's, that's, that's his dinner that's profile. Not, that's gone. not fair. That is that's not true. Fair. 
I'm I'm not scared of heights, but I was terrible at climbing, and um, I kind of thought I was gonna. I sort of had these memories of me back when I was like early twenties and um, being pretty good at it. Um, but um, but yeah, I was absolutely terrible. So I thought I think one of the reasons we didn't do anything after is because you. I thought you were relatively unimpressed uh, by my poor efforts on the climbing wall and kind of just made our separate ways afterwards. But then I guess a couple of days later, we kind of messaged again and um, went out for And then this is the other thing is she says that, so, so the next, you were so busy with work. Like you were on planes in and out of Singapore. Literally, she used to have to, in one week, she'd be in Malaysia, China, Thailand, Vietnam, wow. whatever. Work because you were working out of airports when you're on like airport displays in the duty free areas, the point of sale stuff. So just in and out of all these different airports um, throughout the week, and I and I and I'm trying in vain to get another date, right? Like I you know want to see this guy again, um, and it was you know can you do this? Can you do that? And so no, I'm oh, no, I'm in leisure that day. Oh no, I'm not not in the country, etc. So anyway, I managed to get her on a Sunday morning, right? That was the only time that she had a free morning for me and um we so there's this really fancy chain of breakfast brunch restaurants in singapore so uh we go to i book a table we go for breakfast and then she's got to fly in again in the afternoon something silly like that and then uh it turns out that like for a number of weeks after that you basically thought that i just wanted to be friends because i'd taken you for breakfast and yeah. if I was serious about it, then I'd have taken you for like dinner and drinks. Yeah. That, that was just because it was the only slot open in your calendar. Because in the Philippines, you don't go on a date on a breakfast. That is considered a friendly thing if it's like yeah. a breakfast thing. Like you're, you're just catching up with your best friend. Um, a date in the Philippines is like movie or dinner or, you know, something like anything that it has to be at night kind of thing. So obviously the cultural difference, um, we, we then found out about this, like maybe four years down the relationship that, so when was our first date? Or we were asking each other and, and then he, I gave a different answer. He gave a different answer. And then we started asking like, that was a date that wasn't a date because that was morning. Nobody goes on a date in the morning. That's like, you know, it was the only date and time that I could get. It was a date, and I thought it wasn't a date. I even started seeing <laughs> other guys because I thought he was being friendly. Yeah, that was a fun and, revelation. You know, yeah. Like, oh, that was a date already. I was seeing so into that time because I thought you just want to be friends, want to be introduced to the climbing community because you asked me for uh, a breakfast, and you know that was it. So like, okay. Nothing, nothing's going to happen here. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> cultural things that you learn when you go somewhere new. And I remember this one uh, event that I organized because when I first got to the Philippines, I wanted to meet as many people as possible. And so, uh, you know, I would go on Facebook groups and I would meet people there. And I invited a lot of the ones that I like to dinner and i think you know what i'm talking about it was mango tree uh it's been there for a long yeah. time down in bgc and i invited yeah. everybody into the mango tree uh and we we all we all arrived and everyone thought i was going to pay for the whole thing because i hadn't 
given the signal that they need to pay for their own meal. <laughs> yeah. And I, was, I just got so shocked because there was like 20 people there and we were all just eating whatever we wanted. And uh, everyone expected me to pay. Uh, or someone mentioned, you know, you know that you're going to be paying for this, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, yeah, you forgot <laughs> to mention the KKL or something. I can't remember what the... KKB. So uh, that shocked me. Uh, luckily, I didn't pay for everything. Uh, people understood that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So, um, yeah, <laughs> but it's just, it just I, makes you realize how many little nuances there are when you go somewhere new yeah. and you've got to be really careful. Yeah, completely. Yeah, like birthdays is the same, right? Like, uh, you know, back in the UK, you know, if, when it's your birthday, your friends will take you out and, you know, you don't have to pick up the bill, you know, dinner and drinks, that's, whatever. That's exactly the opposite that happened to me. So I, I celebrated my birthday in Singapore. So I invited all my friends. And then in the Philippines, if it's your birthday, you pay for everything. Yes. Right? You pay yes. for whatever it may be. Maybe <laughs> it's such a strange concept, but yes, I, I remember. So... After after we finished dinner, there were about 12 of us, 12, 14 of us. I asked for the bill from the, the, the waiter. And I said, okay, can I have the bill? And then I was, I was taking out my, my purse to, to pay for the, for the bill for all 14 people. And everyone was like, so how much is the split? And everyone was like asking um, the, the split bills. So I've got a German in the table, a French in the table, a Singaporean in the table, Indian in the table. So I, most of my friends are, are multicultural. So, but then it's surprising because everyone really wanted to pay. And he said, no, 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 it's my birthday. We, we, in the Philippines, we pay. It's a celebrant who would have to pay. Otherwise it's not a celebration because, you know, it's just like going out together at the same time. And yeah, so that was a shock for me as well. And then I said, I can, I, then I can have a birthday every month then here. <laughs> different set of Everyone's friends. Your birthday. Say, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, you know, like I said, there's loads of different little cultural things that you learn along the way. Um, and yep. uh, it, it's great. It, it opens you up to new experiences, new ideas of how to live and how to communicate and how to behave and act and respect people. Uh, when did you guys decide to, did you go straight back to the Philippines after you had met in Singapore? I mean, how long did it take for you to make that transition? Sure. So we, um, about a year and a half, I think. Um, and we, I mean, you wanted to start your business, right? Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it's a pretty costly thing to do to start your own business mm -hmm. in the Philippines. Um, and uh, obviously, when you're trying to start a business, right, it kind of helps to know the market that you're, you know, you're trying to sell your products or service to. Um, so Kat decided that she wanted to head back to Manila and, uh, and get set up there. And, um, you know, I made the decision to do the same thing, but I had, it was a little bit more difficult for me because I had to wrap things up with, uh, with my employer. So I was still very corporate at the time, uh, working with a corporate company in Singapore. So we did long distance for about nine months, um, whilst we were kind of wrapping everything up. Um, I was flying a lot to the Philippines for the weekends. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, so that was that was kind of tough time. So that definitely puts a little strain on a relationship that kind of long distance, even though 
you know, two and a half hour, three, three, three hour flight uh, on a Friday night, Sunday night doesn't feel too bad. But and it was early, early on the relationship, right? Yeah, it was so, still yeah. fairly early on. Um, I mean, I think you think back, and that was actually quite a big commitment in many ways. Like mm. um, we hadn't been. We, I mean, we actually, we, we ended up moving in together quite quickly as well. Not for any reason than just Kat's contract came up on her property, uh, on the, on the place she was renting. And it was just like, wow, things are going pretty well. And there's, there's like loads of spare rooms and things going around in Singapore. So, you know, we sort of thought, like, why don't you just move in here, save a bit of money. You can just um, stand being away from me for a Yeah, long. that's, that's what it was. Yeah. I definitely wasn't <laughs> thinking about the numbers. Um, I think it's important so, to yeah, ask, so, how old were you guys when you, uh, moved in together just so that the audience knows more sure. of it. Um, 2015 was it 2015 so oh no sorry no it's earlier 2014. Than, uh, end of 2014 i think so uh i can't remember if i was just before or just after 30 but i think i think 29 something like that and cat is literally just two months uh two so months I'm older uh, younger than me so around 29 28 something like that got it got it okay got it and um, yeah. how so you've moved from, uh, you've moved countries together. You're now living together. Um, when did you really, did, was that the moment, you know, that this was like super serious? Um, I think I knew it was super serious because I don't think I would ever have made the decision to move to Manila, quite honestly, not because uh, there's anything wrong with Manila. Um, you know, I mean, there's good things and bad things like, like any city in the world. Um, but I just was really happy with life in Singapore and I was working for a corporate company and I was on a, you know, I was on a good trajectory and, uh, pension scheme and a nice condo and money in the bank and everything was kind of according to plan. Right. And, you know, it's a fantastic place to be based as well because you, you know, you can fly out to any of the Southeast Asian countries for a weekend break or a trip or whatever. So, uh, and back then I was very much, you know, like it, there was a plan and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, I was, in, I was in the perfect place. So everything was cushy. Um, and then, uh, but then Kat said, you know, I want to, I want to move back and, uh, I want to, you know, I've been in Singapore four years now and this is the plan. So it's what I want to do. And if you want to come with me, that'd be great. And, uh, you know, it took a little while to think about it. I didn't, I didn't just sort of uh, make the decision instant, instantly, but, um, you know, explored a couple of ways to try and get, get my job transferred or, or work out of one of the offices in, in Manila. But, um, you know, none of those things came off and you, and you kind of go, right, yeah, I'm going to have to cut the cord and, uh, and, and wing it a little bit. Um, and I don't, I just, at the time it was a fairly easy transition, but thinking about it, like, there's no way I would have made that decision if, if I was just planning for myself or if I had, um, you know, a partner that was in the sort of the same sort of career driven, uh, mentality. So I, I think that was probably it. Um, and especially when I was kind of packing up to leave Singapore and realizing all of the kind of support cushions I was going to be leaving behind, uh, you know, I got to find a new job, got a, and I never would have moved country before if I wasn't going with a new job waiting for me at the other side. Um, so the, taking that leap, I think, was probably the was probably the moment where I when I knew that this was pretty serious. What did you feel like at that time, uh, Kat? Did you did you sense that that was a tricky thing for Ben to be doing, and how did you kind of act as his partner during that time? 
Um, so back then, I think it was more for me. It was more of because I I grew up with so much uncertainty in life. You know, being orphaned at an early age. How old, um, looking how old, how old were you when you got uh, when you got to work? I was thirteen. I was wow. thirteen. That's that's and, child labor. <laughs> yeah, and I was uh, the the breadwinner as well because I'm the eldest, so I had to look after doing? my brother. I was just taking odd jobs. Um, you know, I would take in some. Uh, they call it a ground modeling jobs, wherein you basically attend an event and you usher people to to go inside the uh, the event. But of course, you need to dress nicely, etc. You have to man the counter because it's, it's a proper event. So that That's kind 13. of thing. And I don't know, not thirteen. So. 13 um i was adopted by my i was adopted by my mom's sister so for um until i finished college i was uh under her her wing so me and my brother got separated she i lived sorry i lived with my it's it's a it's a complex story so i lived with my mom's brother right Um, so i lived with my mom's brother but I was being supported financially and education by my mom's sister. But my brother stayed with her because, you know, there's it's too much if she 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 takes two of us and she already has three kids of her own. Well, why so did you me and my brother have to move in with other family members? How old, you mean? Why, why did you guys have to move in with other family members? Because no one will look after us. Um, we're basically orphans, right? So meaning no no mother, no father. So who would look after us? Um, and I was 13. My brother was 11 that time. So, so you, my mom. Uh, okay. I remember you mentioning about your mother. And uh, that. so that was when you lost your mother. That was the time? Yes, that was the time. So my my aunt and my uncle stepped in and figured within themselves that okay these kids need need looking after so my aunt adopted my brother into their home um together with her three children and and her husband and then i was adopted by my uncle um he has a he has one child and uh, a wife back then so we got separated um and right after college, so I finished college through the help of my aunt. So she paid for my college. She died right after I finished uh, university. So that's when I had to find jobs for me and my brother to survive. And also that time, um, my grandma uh, lived with us because she, you know, she, she has nowhere to go. So my aunt died. So uh, that's that's that. My brother had to leave the home of my aunt, and then yeah, we we found ourselves living together, the three of us, me, my brother, and my grandma. And I had to pay for rent. I had to pay for his schooling because he's still studying. I had to pay for my grandma's medication. So I had to find jobs. Um, how how do you think? Why, sorry, Cap, can I just interrupt you here? I really want to ask an important question. <laughs> What was your mental, emotional state going through this? Because I, 
I, I feel like it's very, it's intense, but it's also, so it's intense. It's in a short space of time and it's the, the things that are happening are really serious. Well, you were pressured a lot there to do things that aren't necessarily normal. I mean, kids don't necessarily do that at that age. So, uh, so what, how, mm. how did you deal with it? I'd say I wasn't really, I think I didn't have time to, to process it because everything has just happened real time. Right. So I really didn't have the chance to look into myself and think like, okay, this is not normal. Um, I, I was just, you know, working three jobs, going home just to take shower and then up to the next job because I knew that we won't survive if not, if I don't do anything because my grandma, um, she doesn't get any pension from the government because she, she never properly worked. Um, she, unfortunately she wasn't able to finish school. She only finished one grade. Um, my brother still studying and needed to finish school. So I really didn't have time for myself that time. I was just thinking about them because no one's going to look after them. And I felt like it's my responsibility to look after them. So I wasn't really thinking of, you know, like, how am I doing? Yes, I get this kind of, you know, point of comparisons back then when when I hear mm, people or peers of my same age thinking of, oh, I'm, I'm thinking what kind of phone I'll buy next, what, uh, you know, how much I pay my credit card. And mine was like, how am I going to pay our electricity bill? Which one should I prioritize? My brother's tuition or my grandma's medicine? So I have different sets of questions, but I never really dwell into it that, you know, that this is going to have a mental pressure on me. Mm -hmm. So going back to, to the point where you ask uh, how I felt when Ben was making that decision, to me back then, it wasn't really a big move. So our, our perspective was very different. To him, it's like changing his entire world. But for me, because there's so many things of these in my life that I had to respond, I saw it in the in the in the big initially I saw it as a it's not a big thing if you move, right? I mean, life always changed. Every year your life changed, something bad will happen and you just react to it. Something bad will happen again and just respond to it. Because that's what I was coming from you know like suddenly i have a parent suddenly i don't suddenly i'm not a breadwinner suddenly i am suddenly i you know so that's kind of like how i process things so back then it was like so you're moving here it's not a big thing so i didn't yeah. take it as a sign that it's serious mm -hmm. i only took it as this is really serious when he moved to the philippines and i i saw his challenges that Oh no, he's not adopting well in the Philippine culture. Oh no, he's struggling with with finding a job in the Philippines. So that's when, for me, really, that's when I saw that this is really serious. Yeah, I didn't cut and run. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, the, the move itself was the source of a little a little bit of tension. Like maybe I, I maybe only I actually noticed that mm -hmm. um, because, like you said, you you were very 
you just thought it was, you know, just what, you know, so what are we going to do this year? Well, let's move back to the Philippines. And, you know, for me, it was like, okay. Like, so, and I, I tried, it's very, like Philippines is a very difficult place to get a job as an outsider, like without a network. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so trying to get one when you're not even on the ground in the city is almost impossible. I found like, unless, unless you get headhunted or, you, or you're moving within an organization. So I submitted a load of job applications before I left, but you know, nothing, nothing stuck at all. So I ended up actually getting on the plane without anything to go to, but you know, I cashed the bank and, um, and a decent TV. So, you know, you think, oh, it won't be too long. Um, but then, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, I, I won't bore you with the details, but there's a number of reasons why, um, sort of looking for a job when you have absolutely no network in the Philippines, in the sort of a corporate setting, is almost impossible. Um, and so um, I struggled with that for a while. And uh, not not like in an arrogant way, but like I just wasn't used to like absolutely zero traction at all. Like sort of pinging your CV around and, and making what you think are pretty worthwhile job applications and just not even getting responses most of the time was pretty demoralizing. And then as Kat says, like Filipino culture is very, very different from UK culture. Um, you know, there's elements of kind of manana, manana, kind of, uh, everyone's very, very chilled out and very relaxed. And then the traffic, you know, just trying to get around the city is incredibly difficult at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and there's all these positive things as well, which, you know, I, uh, I just took for granted and I kind of dwelled a little bit too much on the negative things. And that was, that was quite frustrating. Like, I, I remember I used to get home from, I don't know, going, you know, just sort of going out and trying to uh, meet people in, in, in the hope that they might sort of lead to something and, um, uh, and uh, do a bit of consult, like informal consultancy work here and there. And then I get in at like nine o'clock in the evening because, you know, I wrapped up my day at like six, but that's the middle of rush hour. So then it's three hours in the car to get back to the condo and you're tired and you're hungry and, you know, something happened to, to frustrate you. And I used to get in, I just used to complain. You spend the entire evening complaining. <laughs> and I think after about, uh, you know, did you, like, you'll never guess what happened to me today. Did you know that this is how this happens? You know, like if, oh, and if you want to get this card, you have to submit seven different pieces of paperwork. And did you know this? And you know, Kat's looking at me like, like I'm from here. Of course, I knew that. So one, this is no, this is not a good story, Ben. Uh, and um, and secondly, she basically just looked at me. She said, "Look, you know, if you're, if this is what this is going to be, then we might as well talk about going somewhere else." Um, and because uh, if you can't adapt to it, then then you know you're just going to be miserable all the time. So. Um, and then, you know, the other thing about the Philippines is that it, it's, um, you know, wherever you live, like obviously we live in, in a, in a nice condo and, uh, we spend, uh, we split our time between BGC and Makati for the most part. And we, we get, we are very lucky. We get to hang out in funky little coffee stores and restaurants and, um, and, uh, uh, and we have a great time, but you know, that you're never too far away from, you know, people that are nowhere near as lucky as we are. Um, there is, you know, there are slums and underdeveloped areas of the city dotted around. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about that as well. And, uh, you know, Kat reminded me that sometimes, you know, you gotta, you gotta remember how lucky you are. And yeah, like literally almost overnight, I just kind of shut up and realized that actually, yeah, you know, this is an adventure. It's a lot of fun. 
and uh, it's new. And we're lucky enough to have, you know, a bit of money in the bank and, and a pension plan and all the rest of it. So you can take a bit of time out just to find the next thing and whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that the whole process, I think probably brought us a lot, you know, kind of, so it was an indication of things getting quite serious as well, because, you know, those are quite really quite grown up conversations to have and to go through. Right. Like I, I can't, I can't think of a relationship I was in before that, where, that kind of fairly serious conversation, like, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my head, right. So I, so I can take all this on or I could just say like, I don't think, you know, this is going to work out. Right. And then you go off and, you know, you sort of start dating again and you find someone else, but for whatever reason, maybe because I was, um, you know, I just, I felt committed because of the move. Um, and I felt committed to cat and, you know, I don't know, it just, it, it just, it never sort of struck me, never popped into my head. It's like, you know, maybe all of this is just too difficult and it's just too different to what I'm used to. Um, you know, I just always said, right, well, you know, how do we get through this next conversation? How do we get through this next challenge and how do we keep it moving forward? So I guess that's when you know that you're, you know, you're not looking for anyone else, basically. Do do, do you guys uh, think you've all, always had uh, like the skill of being able to communicate with each other? through times like this, because it's not something that's easy for a lot of us. Some of us have real challenges communicating what we really think and feel just because of fears of rejection or invalidation or weakness, or, you know, you can name any number of things that keep us from really communicating, but have you always had that skill or is it something you just had to adapt into and you realized it was something you needed to to improve on? Mm. Um, I'd say we definitely didn't have it in the beginning. It took us a while to really figure how to to talk to each other. Ben and I are very different. We we you know culturally we're very different. Background wise, we're also very different, and the way we approach things, um, we're very different on that aspect too. For I I'd say that we struggled uh, at first trying to understand each other um, for example ben likes to talk things through you know when we have a problem he likes to let's sit down have a proper chat and then let's solve it together was me i like to retreat and kind of be on my own bubble because the more you talk to me the more i won't be cooperative with a solution but if i'm on my own and then i realize like okay that was my mistake, this was wrong, yeah, this could work, then I process it better. But what really helped us is understanding our uh, love language, so we believe in that. Now we know that Ben's way to process things is when you listen to him. You know, you you sit down and, and talk to him or just listen to him. And I know now when I will do that, and he also now know when to leave me alone. So we the moment we we found out how how each other respond to a certain stimuli is uh i guess that's the key on yeah when a, we really discovered like okay we we know how to talk to each other now i yeah. stopped 
I'll stop doing like retreating when I know it's my fault. I'll just sit there and fold yeah. myself. Listen. It's, a, it's a compromise thing, right? Because, mm. you know, the thing is in my mind, it seems silly to think about it now, right? Like, like we lived together, <laughs> we've committed to this move together, but sometimes you used to have these arguments, which would get a little intense, like quite honestly, like, uh, you know, we're cats, a fiery character. And I, and I don't like it when something's not logical. And sometimes that clashes a little bit, right? And so things, um, thing, like arguments would would build up greater than they, about silly things would build up greater than they had to just because of our characters. And I think the thing I was scared of was that, you know, so Kat would, she literally just shut the door and, and not want to talk. And so I was like, in my in my subconscious, I think I'm thinking, well, what, you know, what, what if this is it, right? Like I can't, you know, like we need to fix this now so that I know that it's okay again. But she needed, she just needed some time and space. So as soon as I learned that, you know, she would come back and want to have this conversation. Like it wasn't like if I, if I give her this time, then that might, that might be the end of it. You know, like it, it, I, I learned to give her the space initially to reflect a bit and to get her own minds, um, you know, sort of sorted out. And then, I knew she was going to come back. And when I gave her the space, then she would obviously figure things out and take that time out. And then she'd come back again. And when we knew that that was a process that we went through and you know what, the other kind of thing that's really specific as well to, um, to us and, but, but would also apply to a lot of other couples in the situation is that I don't speak to Garlog, right? Yeah. yeah, So Kat speaks really good English, obviously, as you can hear, but, Mm. You know, we all think in our native languages first and in, in arguments or conversations, you're under the pressure to react almost instantaneously. And, you know, sometimes like when, when cats got to do all the thinking, all the responding in English, uh, you know, I think, I think that's another part of the reason why it helps to have, it just helps to both go away and have a break and just sort of chill out and remember you know, what's important and then come back again and then you can have that conversation. Um, so yeah, it took us, we, we had to, and we had to learn it, right? Like we didn't, maybe we should have, you know, sort of spoken to, uh, you know, like a third party, like, a, you know, counseling or just someone to sort of mediate a bit. Did you ever do that? No, we've, we've never no, done it, have we? we never done it. I've done it personally. Um, I've done it personally. And when I was back in Singapore, just there, you know, there'd be some fairly stressful times and uh, especially when I was on my own as well when, you know, Kat had gone back to Manila already. But as a couple, we've never, we've never had any kind of couple counselling. Because when his process is he, he likes talking to someone um, and I think that he's good at it because he can really express himself with words. I'm, I'm, a very, I'm very different when I'm mad. I tend to process it all in my head. Um, some people would say that's the dangerous type, but I find that it's what worked for me. You know, the more that you give me time, the more that I have time to process my Did my you have many uh, people that you could rely on when you were younger? Um, or did you feel like it was all on you? Well, back then, um, I had my grandma. So my grandma was the, I would say, the biggest support that I that I have. So every, every time that I would have this trouble, I just look at her because I know she's been through worse than I did. You know, she, she lost her husband when, when my mom was at the same age as mine. And she basically needed to raise all three kids on her own. 
she was born in a, a you know a pre uh, war you know the the japanese war time so she lived through war she was giving bullets to soldiers she would laundry their clothes just to survive they there will be days she tell me that they don't have anything to eat but crapper and she she managed to raise all three children um and they're all you know made life on their own so whenever i'm feeling down i just look at my grandma and you know what what i'm having is nothing compared to her so that suddenly brings me back to my feet and i've got the biggest support that i could ever have so i kind of struggled when she passed away um that for me was the lowest point in my life and ben was there to support me when she passed away because basically she's she's the only one i've got left so i i've lost my mom lost my aunt and my grandma by the way all of all of them were her kids so she she was outlived by all of her kids oh, before she passed away so she's just a very strong character um in terms of you know holding herself but also the sweetest and the kindest selfless person so when i lost her i felt like okay so what am i going to do now where do i run or what 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 you know what do i do now everything i've been doing in my life so far is to support you to support my brother and then so she passed away so that was a that was a struggle that we've had um and i was already with ben that time do you still uh support i mean you know do you still support your brother and things like that or how how, how are they doing? No, he's uh, he's fine now. So he's now married. Um, That's good. Married to his lovely uh, wife. He he found himself as well. You know, he's he's his path. So yeah, I'd say that um, he now he now managed to. I, I worried for him back then because I, I don't know. You know, growing up without parents, full time parents, sometimes you choose the wrong path and. Um, for me i don't i don't i won't say luckily i chose the right path but for me when that happened to our life i said okay we we need to have a better life so i worked hard i studied hard tried to change our life and he was you know being younger i suppose he kind of struggled to find his path but now i i'd say that he's um found a, a better way to uh, enjoy his life so he's now married trying to have kids they have their own house now so Good. yeah we we don't normally uh support each other that much anymore that's good that's good no it's it's honestly it's a it's an inspiring story uh, you know it doesn't happen to it doesn't happen that often you know that combination of events especially at that age and we, I think everyone listening will understand the kind of seriousness of the, of the, of the pressure that's put on you. Uh, you know, when you realize that you are totally in, uh, you're the one who's going to decide what happens next. It, there's, there's, there's no support. And that in itself is, it's a blessing in a way, because I think it's, 
quite possibly one of the most empowering things that can happen to us if we are able to handle it properly because mm. taking ultimate responsibility for yourself is something most of us struggle to do. Uh, in, you know, in comparison to my life, I would say taking responsibility is something I've always struggled to do and still struggle with some things to this date. I, uh, I just, I, I had a very shielded uh, childhood and upbringing to the point where, you know, cause a lot of people might say, Oh God, I wish I had that. I wish I just, I was able to just lie down on the floor and not do anything for years. <laughs> not that I did that, but it, it could have been the case. Uh, but there's a double-edged sword to everything. And like I said, your situation could be seen as one of the most empowering things that can happen to a human when yeah. you really do take I, over. Um, but for me, I see my mine as a double-edged sword because I've had to unlearn all of the entitlement that I became identified with. And that is very difficult to do. Very difficult. Yeah. So I think the, the, the way I see it truly manifest itself, because I, you know, I, I'm the same as you, right? I, um, you know, I had an incredibly, uh, uh, privileged childhood, um, you know, and, um, incredible parents to both, um, separated, but you know, my, my, my mom brought me up, but, um, my dad was very present, uh, and, um, super supportive and, um, the, you know, lived in a very nice area, went to a good school, had lovely friends, played loads of sport, went to cinema, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? beautiful childhood. And, um, and then, and then I kind of entered the program, right? You know, you go to school, you get this, this set of exam grades, then you get the last one so that you can go to university, then you get a graduate job with a good company. And it's all, it's all laid out for you like a map. And then, but then that's, it kind of ends there, right? So, you know, you can go the super 2.4 children thing and, you know, you start thinking about, right, so I'm going to buy a house. And then I got to, and then I got to find someone who wants to move in with it with me. And we get a dog first, then we get kids, two cars. You can go super, super programmed, which I didn't want to do because I, I sort of, I got the travel bug. So I wanted to experience different areas in the world, but like suddenly no one's saying, right, you know, this is when you go to this school, then you go to senior school, then you go to university. Like suddenly you're out in the big bad world and you got to start making decisions for yourself and cat it doesn't matter what kind of decision it is, you will make it in, you will, like, if it's, if it's relatively serious, you might take a little longer thinking about it, but you'll still make it pretty quick and you'll make it and you'll be happy with it and you'll get on with it. I, when I think a decision is relatively significant and, you know, like the two outcomes at the, at the other end of that decision might determine, you know, like serious part of life. I find it very difficult to commit to one of them, right? Because you're always thinking, well, what if it's the wrong one? And, um, and um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, I, I think it's because I never had to make any hard, hard, serious decisions until like my mid twenties. And even then you can just kind of avoid them and you just keep going on whatever you're doing. Whereas, you know, you have to make difficult decisions from a really young age. And that means that right now you, like when, when we, Cat runs a business, um, and I uh, used to be a couple of years back. I was a bit more involved and a bit more engaged with it, and we had to fire someone. And he was like, "Yeah, you know what? They just got to go. Right? That's just it. You know, look at the numbers. There, you know, there was it was um, in a sales role. The person's not bringing in the numbers, so you know, there's there's really no other way, right? And I was like, "Well, you know, what if we could 
do some more training, provide some more support, find a way to string this out so that I, I can, we can just keep going with the status quo, which is changing the norm in a way that's not, you know, perfect, in a way that's not positive. Because, you know, f- for me, that feels like a negative, letting someone go. And it's just, you know, just countless situations like that where I find it very difficult to make a decision or to change something for the negative. Um, and you're very, very comfortable with that. And I think that's a reflection on, our, on, on the, you know, the early lives and the difference between our early lives. Well, you must have had a really simple marriage then. <laughs> if that <laughs> makes decisions like that. <laughs> How was it? Congratulations, by the way. I, uh, I, I would have loved to have been around, but I, I guess, you know, you guys, it, it, it's almost like it was, it's almost like in the moment, you know, like there's, there, it, it, there really isn't much choice is there right now with COVID. You just you can't have what you want right now and you just have to deal with yeah. it. So, so what was it like to have a, a wedding? Just don't want to digress too much from what we, what we were discussing, but what is it like to have a wedding during COVID? Yeah, right. So, I mean, you know, we were, we, we were a little bit, it was probably a little easier than it might have been because we were a little forced into it anyway, right? So, you know, you find yourself, you know, we, we left we left the Philippines um, relatively quickly and um, to get back home to the UK to, to spend some time with my mom. And, um, and then, you know, the border comes down on the Philippines. So, you know, I can't get back into the Philippines. So Kat could have gone back as a national, obviously, but I couldn't go back um because we weren't married so we then think you know what how long is this uncertainty even going to go on for right like this this could be just the beginning so maybe it's a good time get married you know even though it's going to be it's going to be pretty quick and pretty direct because at least then you've got the marriage certificate so wherever we kind of sort of take our next steps like that'll be much easier to do together than Mm -hmm. if we were two unmarried individuals so um we were in Europe at the time, like, which is kind of a bit of a, a long story as well, but you know, we were, we were in Germany at the time and we, um, we, we found out that there was pretty much only one country that was, there was where we were able to, you know, get like, get the visas. So like so many countries, if you want to get married in that country, like France, Germany, you've got to apply for that visa from outside of the country before you go there. So you, and, and ideally you've got to do it from one, at least one of your home countries, right? So we're in Germany and the only place that we basically, it turns out that we can get married by just turning up uh, is Gibraltar, which is like the Las Vegas of Europe in that sense. <laughs> so, um, but, with, but we're also like really, it was still, it was, it was like after the first wave where everyone kind of just about getting back to normal, like people were still wearing masks and being careful and being cautious, but you know, most things were starting to get back to at least a little bit of normal, but we were still super cautious. So we didn't want to jump in a plane or anything like that. So we basically planned like a two day drive from Germany down to Gibraltar. Um, and, uh, uh, we, so we got, we got the date confirmed and we sort of arranged to drive down there, but then you get there and you realize, yeah, we're here. So that's good. But like, what, like, do we get a photographer? Do we do flowers? Like, uh, like all these things, right? I guess, um, you could say that if, if anything, this COVID getting married during a pandemic, um, will make you realize and even direct you towards the, the simplest thing and realize that you really don't need a lot 
to celebrate um getting married right because no. um we got married and we just really needed basic stuff mm-hmm. um and we know that we're doing it for ourselves because we couldn't have anyone else you know we i think th- there will be a different process right of course big weddings will involve who are we gonna invite who are we not gonna invite and there's stress on that right because it, it's always from from what i heard from friends that get married putting up your guesses is always stressful because you know who makes it who doesn't make it and whatnot so there's an element that you're kind of doing it for other people as well your 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 wedding but our wedding i'd say that we really just did it for ourselves because we again we didn't have much guest list we just invited uh, family we only had a champagne you know to, to celebrate us we didn't even have to worry about what what food guests will eat i'm not saying not do that but we made us realize that you know what we can actually you know get married and you know we we focus on other material things after when when you know maybe perhaps this this pandemic is over so yeah so things are, are pretty straightforward Um, and we feel like it's very natural. It's very us, you know, you got hiccups on the way, it rained while we're walking towards the city hall. We forgot the tripod, um, that would film and zoom the family. And we had to buy tripod on our way, wearing our wedding gowns <laughs> while wearing wedding gowns. We're in the shop, in a camera shop, buying tripod. We forgot the clip. The The guy had to run towards the, the register and said, oh, you forgot the clip. You might need it for the phone. And, and you know, like, it's just like, this is us, right? This is yeah. us, like, always adventuring, always <clears throat> something happening. But then we fix it. We figure it out and we yeah. laugh at it. We cry and laugh at it. Um, we're kind of yeah. a bizarre mix of, of like big mix of emotions, like planned and on the fly. So there's kind of just enough planning to mean it, it comes off. Um, but there's there's got to be this sort of on the fly element to it as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was you know what it was like. I, I was kind of thought about was trying to think of various words to describe it. And I think one of the best words is um, is intimate. Um, like which I guess normally word you use to describe something slightly more kind of like love you, dovey or an emotional. But the point is it was really just the two of us. Like we had, um, we had the family on zoom for the ceremony itself, uh, which was great. And we, there was, a, there has to be a witness, uh, two witnesses. So we had the witness and then a photographer as the second witness. But, you know, in terms of the, you know, it was really all about me and Kat and that was just, it was just great. You know, we, we didn't, we had one day before the wedding to shop for our uh, wedding clothes in a combination of Debenhams and M&S on Gibraltar High Street. So some British <laughs> classics. Um, so, you know, just picked out some nice trousers, jackets and a bow tie. And, you know, Kat had a really beautiful um, suit. And, you know, we just, we did it. We, we just made decisions quickly. Didn't overthink anything. And it ended up being a really nice day. We just had, and we just had so much fun. Right? I know a lot of the people that have big weddings also say they have a lot of fun, but um, you know, you've, you you've also got to sort of structure it, right? So you've got to be here at this time and there at that time, and then cutting in the. Do you think that takes away a lot of the, uh, it, yeah, the intimacy from what you're trying to do, which is essentially yeah, like, I, between two people. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would have been great to celebrate with friends and family, of course. And, you know, if given the choice, that's what we would have done. Right. Um, but, uh, but it was it a really... It that you can celebrate 
with, you know, as well, even though you just have the, what you can pull off and not be the norm. You, you could still have it special, basically. You can still make it special. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it was yeah, great. I, I always thought that about, you know, proposals, for example, when, you know, I, I just, I just feel like it's a lot more special if you don't make a huge scene and you just do it in a, in a moment when the person's least expecting it. And it's, uh, it's just for you. It's just for you too. I think that's a magical proposal. I, I kind of always kind of, uh, squint my eyes and kind of feel a little uncomfortable when I see these grand, grand proposal gestures with like fireworks and swimming pools completely filled with rose petals and elaborate designs. And things. <laughs> I just like, I kind of wonder to myself, is there, uh, is there a chance she's going to say no? Cause I think, you know, there, if you're pretty sure that you've got something uh, special with someone. I don't know if you, if you would feel the necessary, uh, necessarily feel the need to go that far, but that's how I feel. I feel like, um, I feel like your wedding must have been pretty, pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I realized is that you remember every part of it because it's right. so small. It's so short. It's right. so undictated. We remember everything. We remember, um, you know, the glasses that we brought, the paper bag, how it looks, uh, the paper bag. The camera shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We remember every inch of it because I guess we're not doing it as part of the program. We're doing it as we go along. And and it was also like, you know, like a lot of people say, you know, about, you know, getting married to their best friends, you know, talk about that sort of, the the you know the true friendship as well and like we you know we were getting ready together in in the in the apartment that we rented in gibraltar um you know and like normally you know you would uh you'd spend the the night before separate right and um you know the the groom would have his groomsmen and the bride would have um yes yeah, bridesmaids and uh you know and then you know you, you the first time the groom sees her again is you know looks over his shoulder and she's coming down the aisle and we got ready in the morning with, you know, a cheeky glass of champagne, like, you know, I was hiding my trousers, she's doing her hair, and we're just laughing and having a fun time. It's like, like we were sort of going on a night out, you know, and, and then, um, and then we walked to the, to the city halls together and, um, you know, and got married and it was just, um, lunch after and fell asleep because we're so tired. Yeah, and just, was- yeah, it was, it was, um, it was just a really, really fun day and you know, obviously completely unconventional, but it was, it was, it was just like marrying my best friends, um, you know, as well as my soulmate. And, um, and, uh, it was, yeah, it was just a really perfect day. There were so many imperfections, but you know, it, it was all part of the, it was Including all part of the fun. Doing our laundry the night before the wedding, I was washing my suit. I was, um, uh, washing his, uh, jacket because we just purchased everything a day before the wedding. So yeah. all of these things, I guess, typical bride, would have a nightmare, right? Because everyone would be helping her out, doing things. But I don't know. It's it's just so us. Like, okay, we've got a problem here. How do we yeah. solve it? What How do we fix it? What are the options? What's the best one? Okay, let's do that. Go. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was the adventure that we we had. And it was almost like a. I don't know, the start of something, of course, the start of something new. But what I'm saying is you've been through a really tough time last year 
uh, and you know, um, I, I want to know if you're able to share with me what that was like being together in a co- as a couple, aside from obviously the, the, the stress of it all for, for, for both of you individually, but there are testing times in our lives. And when you're, when you have to go through them with someone else, sometimes I, I suppose, and you might be able to help us understand it's not, it's not, it doesn't always go the way you want it to. And you have to try to work through it together. And I really want to understand what that was like for you. Um, when did this all start with your mother, uh, and her cancer? Yeah. So she was, she was diagnosed in, um, the very end of uh, 2018. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it just, it just literally blows a hole in your world, right? Like, um, uh, you know, it was one of the more, I mean, there's no, there's no, um, non-serious, uh, form of cancer, but, you know, there are some which are obviously, uh, come with, um, better chances and some which come with, you know, some fairly sort of worrying statistics. Right. And, um, we, you know, she had one of the ones you don't want to get really. And, uh, you know, it's obviously a massive concern and it, it, it all kind of, it was difficult from the very beginning because there was like, I think we got the email on December 23rd, um, 2018. And cause you know, the time difference, right. So, you know, mum wrote to us first and obviously as soon as I get that, I, you know, I call her up and, and we have a long conversation and then uh, I go, right now, you know, I'm getting on the first plane. Right. But I can't because I just put my passport in for my visa extension for the Philippines and it was locked in a government office and it was the Christmas holidays. So, you know, your mom tells you she's got cancer. So all you want to do is get on a plane. And I literally just, you know, I had no way of leaving the country. Like, you know, the embassies weren't open to give me like a temporary, like we tried obviously everything in like over the course of 24 hours and there's just nothing we could do. So that was like a really tough start to the whole thing. And then, um, uh, so anyway, I was on a flight on the 26th or the 20th, uh, probably the 27th, to be honest. I pick my passport up first thing in the morning and then I'm on a plane home. And, um, uh, and then, yeah, just 2019 was just, um, insane. Like, because, um, I spent the first third of the year just with back in UK with mum and, and understanding about, you know, the treatment and, um, the options available and what we were going to do and then getting stuck into that and starting in chemo. And, um, you know, anyone that will, will tell you that that's a really difficult process to go through. Um, and then I had this other life on the other side of the world. Right. So like I was with mom in the UK and, um, uh, and you know, back home and, um, and, living with her and then but i was still trying to keep my business my my little tech early very early stage little tech startup business going with a couple of guys i was working with on the other side of the world and navigating the time differences and all the rest of it and also um you know we also we thought at the beginning we thought it was a really personal time as well obviously for mum and so i went back on my own uh you know just uh just, just so as not to crowd her or, or anything like that. And Kat was, you know, just incredibly patient and amazingly supportive and getting on with everything, you know, back in Manila. And, you know, 
just an eight hour, just an eight hour time difference just messes everything up, right? Like you just don't have that much overlap of the day to get a call in or get a catch up in or whatever. And then, you know, if, if I've got an appointment with mom or if Kat's got something at work that's, that's taking that up, then that's it. Right. And you've lost it. And then, you know, and then, and then you've got to wait till the next day and it's really, really difficult. Um, and then, uh, mom's situation stabilized. She was on treatment and uh, things seemed to be under control. Uh, the cancer wasn't spreading and we had it kind of uh, contained. And so I started to come back to the Philippines. Um, and at the beginning, it was tough because I was flying back to the Philippines for two weeks and then coming back for mom's next, uh, you know, to drive out of chemo and drive her back again. Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm an only child. And, uh, and as, I, as I mentioned, like my, parent, my parents are divorced, so mom's on her own. So it was really, it was really me or no one. Um, he has a very supportive sort of, you know, neighbors and friends, but you know, I just, I just felt like the call of duty, I guess. And, uh, so yes, I was doing a lot of flying back and forth, you know, between the UK and the Philippines. Um, and in the second half of the year, it was more, um, it, again, her situation just seemed to be very stable. So I was able to spend months at a time back in the Philippines and, you know, we talk every day, like we talk a message every single day. But um, I was able to be back with Kat and back with the business a bit more. Um, and we just, you know, we took a few sort of longer trips. You know, Kat came over with me and we do a, it was mom's birthday in June um, of, of 2019. Uh, and so, you know, we came over for two weeks and spent some good time. And, and then I was in and out a little bit in the back end of the year. And then, um, yeah, like as, as 2019 turned to 2020, um, the, the oncologist suggested that we, uh, we should be doing a lot of chemotherapy and it had been holding everything at bay, but it hadn't really reduced the tumor, which is what we needed to do to be able to get to surgery. Um, so the doctor said, let's try radiotherapy. So, um, so, so yeah, so mom was on a course of radiotherapy and it's, it's, a it's not pleasant, but it's, it's, it's nothing like chemotherapy, certainly the kind that she was having it doesn't, you know, sort of like knock you for six, like, like chemotherapy does with the, with the illness and the fatigue and everything like that. It's more of a kind of an uncomfortable burning sensation on the skin. Um, but it's, it's much more livable, uh, with, and she could, she didn't find she had to just take days in bed. So she was able to, to live like her normal life. And, um, and we spent a lot of the first quarter in the Philippines and then, and then the pandemic hit, um, and, uh, literally, you know, we, for a little while, especially in the UK, the cases really weren't that bad. And in the Philippines, it was largely under control, but then, you know, beginning of March, it really started to, to kind of get on everyone's radar. Cases were going up all around the world. And yeah, I basically thought to myself, look, um, if, if this goes suddenly goes exponentially through the roof and countries shut their borders, then I'm going to be unable to get back and, and, and to be with my mom. And, you know, with something like cancer, unfortunately, you just don't know when it's going to turn. And we, and we knew she just started taking a new treatment. So, you know, we were potentially risking the stability of the chemotherapy, but, you know, in order to try a new option, so we basically, we can, I made the decision in about, it's in about 12 hours. Like we, we woke up one morning, we caught up on, on the updates on the numbers and we just said, 
I think we've got to go, right? And um, and yeah, we literally booked a flight and we were on it the next lunchtime. Like we booked a flight at 8 p.m. at night and we were on the plane the next lunchtime. So packed where we are. I mean, we're, we're sort of, we we kind of embraced minimalism a little while back. Um, so we, we try to live with as little as we can. So it wasn't hard to sort of throw stuff in a bag and just focus on the things that we know we need. Um, and so we were on the plane the next day. And then... Um, uh, two weeks of isolation. Um, like fortunately my dad lives in, in the very North of Scotland and, um, he has a caravan, um, that I used to go on childhood holidays in. So Kat and I lived out of the caravan for two weeks, um, because we'd obviously just caught a flight back. So international flights. So we were worried about our exposure. And then we, we got out of the caravan once, you know, two weeks ago and we had those symptoms. And then we stayed with that for about a week just to make sure that, you know, the spread around the country wasn't, sort of putting, you know, because obviously mom, after a lot of treatment, she had no immune system. So, so, you know, it was highly compromised. So, you know, you can't drive from Scotland to England without stopping at least for to refill on petrol. So we were concerned about whether or not we would expose ourselves and then we'd pass it on to mum. But at some point you've got to make the trip, right? And the numbers seem to be pretty stable. So uh, we made the trip down and, um, and we got down... You know, I mean, we had four weeks with her, but we got down kind of just in time to an extent. Like, um, uh, you know, the radiotherapy hadn't worked and everything started to speed up. So, um, so yeah, we, we, we lost her not, not long after that, unfortunately, uh, about a month later. Um, and it's very difficult to kind of really, you know, so, so Kat and I then sitting in a house in Sussex in South of England, a million miles away from, you know, our life in the Philippines and you've just lost your mum. And it's, 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 I think if you're somewhere where you live and where you're settled and there's a major change like that, there's a lot of other pieces all around you, which are still the same. So, you know, and, and, and that community closes in around you and supports you and like maintains some semblance of normality. But we're in the middle of a pandemic, so we can't see anyone because you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, I couldn't go to the park with my mates. They couldn't come to the house to come visit us. And uh, they were amazing. They sent us, they sent us all this frozen food and, uh, you know, like, uh, it, you know, so we didn't have to cook and everything they could do, they did. They were on the phone all the time, messaging me, et cetera. But you're in a house on your own that used to be your mum's house and nothing is the same. And uh, there's this massive gaping hole in your life that's incredibly raw. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I think back to a decision that we made, which was obviously for Kat to come with me on that flight. Um, and I, I honestly don't know what I would have done if I had found myself in that situation on my own. I just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't can't even fathom it. Don't know how I would have got out of bed in the morning. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a huge challenge, and um, and I think in cat, you know, it, 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 the sort of level of because you know she did, this, you know, she left her family in the midst of a pandemic in the Philippines, uh, and she came to the UK, left her business. Uh, you know, we we run our businesses online, but you know, she left the country in which um, in which all of her team and colleagues were were working, and uh, came over to basically support me and like you know we couldn't have known everything was going to wind up the way it did um but you know thank god because i just don't honestly have no idea how i how i'd have made it through that scenario um 
you know, um, and you know, the funeral was very difficult to plan because obviously of all the social distancing and, you know, like I was saying earlier, right. When you, when you have to figure out who you're going to invite to a wedding, mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's probably tricky and there's a little bit of awkwardness at times because you have to choose basically where to draw the line. Um, but it's a joyous occasion. So everyone gets on with it. Right. But when you have to think about who to invite to your mum's funeral, like who makes the cut, you know, who was an important enough friend and I'm doing it on her behalf. You know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, who would she want there? And you know, you've got to get this right. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I just, and, and there's like five more things like that that I could talk about, like the way that, um, a pandemic makes the, the grieving process difficult to handle. Um, but you know, it, it's, um, you know, I, I, as I say, like I, I'd have, I'd have been on the floor without, uh, without cat there. And, um, it's, uh, I don't, I don't wish to, um, well, maybe I don't know, like find positives and the negatives, but you know, she, she was, uh, she'd been through, as we've heard already, you know, a number of different losses of people very close to her and her family. And I think there was an element where, you know, she very much knew what I was going through, um, and was just able to be the perfect support, to be honest. Like I was already, yeah, I know. I don't know what else to say, mate, uh, but you know, it, it was a hell of a journey and, Again, none of you know, none of it in any way planned. Obviously, like we we just reacted to circumstances and developments as when they and when they happened, and um, and uh, and just sort of strung it together. Um, and um, uh, and then it's kind of weird, right? Because we, when we when we got to Dad's, we borrowed his car to drive from Scotland to England, and obviously, you know, you've got to get down there to be with Mum, so no one asks any questions, and then the sort of dust settles on everything and you're like, oh yeah, I've got my dad's car in South <laughs> He lives in Scotland and his car's on the drive. So what are we going to do about that? You know, all these, suddenly, like all these things you realize like, oh yeah, um, got to start getting back to normal now. And, and, um, mm-hmm. but then, you know, but then just to sort of, sort of go full circle, I guess, and connect the dots, um, for people listening, um, we couldn't go back to the UK, uh, sorry, to the Philippines because I couldn't get back in. And we didn't want Kat to go back on her own because what if everything like flares up again and then she can't get back to the UK and I can't get back there. So we're separated. So that's when we made the decision to get married and we sort of first hopped over to uh, Germany uh, to sort of start the ball rolling. And then, and because in the early days, one option was Denmark in addition to Gibraltar, but that was, um, that, that became a non-starter. So, so that's when we sort of headed south down to Gibraltar. So the whole thing from being in the Philippines, making it over to the UK, um, losing mum, taking care of everything you have to take care of when you lose a parent and you're the only child. Um, and then deciding to get married and driving through Europe and down to Gibraltar because we didn't trust air travel to stay safe from COVID. Um, yeah, you know, it's, that's, uh, that was 20, that was our 2019 and then, and then, and then 2020. Uh, and, uh, I noticed I'm still talking for a while, so I'm, I apologize, but yeah, it, it was, it was just one sort of roller coaster loop the loop after another. And, uh, and, and that's how it all played out. And I, and I, I there isn't anyone else I could have done it with. Uh, and I certainly couldn't have done it without her. So, um, I, you know, it's impossible to really explain how important it was to have that person with me because yeah, I just don't know how I'd have done it without her. Yeah. Thank you for that. That really is 
you explain it very well, I would say. And it's hard to explain something like that. Obviously, that's a shattering experience, especially during the quarantine, uh, COVID, like you said. I mean, Jesus, it's hard enough as it is without being, you know, in, in this environment. So God only knows how you did it. Um, I mean, we can try to figure it out, I guess, because one of the things I, I would love to know is what was what was that like for you as well, Kat, you know, being uh, the partner and um, having to witness Ben go through this and be there with him as well? I think the first thing I'd like to say, um, of course, for, for the listeners as well, as a partner, um, I think your default is to to do everything that you can for your partner to feel better, right? You you almost wanna what can I do to make it better? Um, is there anything I can do? But I think it's also important for you as a partner to understand that your partner is going to undergo certain level of emotion and experience that you can't really be part of. Um, you kind of almost had to let him, uh, uh, how they put it, like feel it on his own and, and let him experience it on his own because you can't be part of it really. And you have to respect that boundary that, you know, for in our case, it was his mom. So definitely the certain level of emotion I cannot reach because it wasn't my mom. So you you have to recognize that that's real. And all you can do is just really be there for, for him uh, to talk to. And if he wants to, you know, to talk to, to, to talk rather than, than let him be. But don't force yourself to be, to be part of the entire journey because you can't, right? Yeah, totally. um, and I guess another thing that you can do as a partner to support your partner in times like this is, I know it might be uh, sound like too shallow, but think of administrative things that you can do while your partner is dealing with this heavy emotion. Be one step ahead of like, okay, we, we've experienced loss. What would be the next step? I struggled um, in the beginning because it's a foreign country. So I don't know, you know, what are the rules? What is the culture sensitivity? Um, it w- probably would have been easier if, you know, it's in, in, in the context of Philippines because I would know because I've been through it, but I had to do a bit of research and, you know, what do we do? What are the next things that I should expect that will happen? Uh-huh. And don't let the eventuality or your partner dissect it for you because, you know, he's already burdened with so many things. So inform yourself. If you find yourself in a situation that you're in a foreign country, you just experience loss in a pandemic, so being in tune and in touch with administrative tasks helps because sometimes you need to think for him when he's when he's stressed, when he's all over, you kind of like, oh, but I checked that you can actually call this number yes. or, or yeah. I can, you know. So you kind of be that, that administrative operational side of things um, mm-hmm. when you experience such loss. And I guess the other thing is... Um, you you kind of have to think even even if your partners you're you're married you're a couple you you kind of need to think that 
you guys are walking a different path. It's just that you're heading towards the right direction. So you have a different path, including what has happened to you in your previous life and likewise to your partner. So you, you kind of have to understand all of that and put that in the mix and not, you know, I, I want to be part of your world all the time because I think that's how I'll be a better partner. But for me, that's, that's not true. There is certain times that you have to let him be alone, process it on his own. There's really nothing except that there's nothing you can do anymore. It's he's on his own. You, you know, you brought him to the, let's say to the, to the level that you can, but then there's certain part of section of the road that he needs to walk on his own. Um, and that's, that's what I, I realized when I lost, you know, my loved ones as well. I had to undergo several things that no matter how close a person is to me, I will still have to walk it on my own because, you know, I, I have a different relationship with all these people. Likewise with, with, with Ben's mom, I have a different relationship. He has a different relationship with my grandma. So it will never, you know, equal to how you feel. Um, and you just have to respect that, that boundary and yeah, support him administratively operations and, let him, you know, let him be on the, on times that he needs to be himself. So yeah, that's kind of how I handled it. And drawing it from my experience as well, I try to remember how did I feel when I lost my my mom. Mm-hmm. I try to remember it um, and process it. And what did I want? How what I wish I had that time. But at the same time, you have to check in: is this what he wants? Because again, it might be subjective right i wanted someone to to be there for me all the time and etc but is that what your partner wants right so you have to kind of check the balance and for the pandemic i think um it's it's very surreal for me the experience was very surreal um people can't you know probably only half of what half of the people who would have wanted to pay respect were able to attend um, because maybe even not even half because not everyone's allowed and suddenly you find yourself like this all these people wanted to celebrate but they couldn't so they were just in the high street waving waving their hands as the hurts pass pass by makes you realize that we really live in a different world now you can't we can't just really do what we wanted to do if we lose someone so I guess the the understanding of extend understanding to both for those who lost and for those people who would would have wanted to be part of that celebration because it's just really hard to to navigate you know our, our normal life with the pandemic because nothing is normal in an abnormal time um but yeah, so you, you kind of have to manage expectation in a way that you know back then the expectation was if someone passed uh, pass away everyone can attend you know mm-hmm. you don't even need to think of the names that you would put on the invitation but now suddenly you have to think of like uh can only have 20 people do you even do the celebration now or you wait or who do you call first you know things like that um yeah it, it's very different administratively losing someone in a in a pandemic yeah yeah I mean, it sounds like you guys handled it pretty well, you know, considering, considering everything, 
considering we're still together, I'd say, yeah. <laughs> considering you got married afterwards. Uh. Yeah, we're, considering we got married after all of those. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. Well, either, either we got it well or we're losing our mind. We've lost our mind. <laughs> either. Well, what didn't they we- say something like, you know, the most breakups uh, in, in a certain period of time ever is happening during the, the, co- the quarantine or during the lockdowns? I yeah. Mean, people are losing their... Yeah. Twenty four seven. Yeah, if you don't know how to if you don't know how to really be together without a break, then I'm sure it's really <laughs> difficult. But um I mean we kinda of, I think the thing is we kind of thrive a little bit on challenge. Yeah, the challenge, right? Like I'm not saying I I love every minute of it, especially not um, you know, the last two years. Like they've been incredibly difficult times. But um you know, whether it's moving country without a job to go to and figuring it out when you get to the other side. Adjusting to the culture. Uh, adjusting, yeah, adjusting to culture. And, um, uh, you know, whether it's two years like the years that we just had, there is there is obviously a certain sort of pragmatism that just sort of exists between us in our relationship where, I mean, I think, you know, I think Kat's always had it because of, you know, what she talked about before in terms of having to start to take responsibility and make these sorts of decisions at an early age. And I think I've just learned to do similar. And, you know, I think, again, there's, you know, a very sort of soft privilege sort of bringing up, like, even in Singapore, when I moved there first, you know, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty comfortable place to live. Um, and, you know, everything's laid on and it's like, light speed public transport and um supermarkets on every corner all the rest of it right and i think when you live in a country like the philippines for a little time you know it it, it can be quite abrasive and you know you have to you very quickly realize that a lot of people in in the in the world we live in don't have it easy and don't have these options and mm-hmm. even when you're faced with really tough challenges like those that we took we had options you know mm-hmm. we had a car and we could go here or there or you know go back up to scotland and stay with dad maybe or uh, head over to europe and go and isolate out there or you know whatever like we've got options and you just have to be grateful for those um you know bit of cash in the bank you know car on the driveway you know we you know what, what should we go do right um uh, how do we you know okay so we need to get married so how do we solve that right there you know there are two countries offering it. Okay, which one do we choose? Right, let's go do that. Um, you know, if you look on the positive side and, uh, you know, treat it as a bit of an adventure and, you know, uh, an experience, like to be, to, to kind of, to learn from, to get richer from, to fill in more of the perspective that you still don't have, um, then... You know, you, you can get through it together, and um, you have to see it that way. I think because uh, you know, ten ten years ago, maybe even five years ago, yeah, yeah. I I would have I'd have just gone, oh my god, this is too hard, right? I'm going back to the UK. I'm going back to a corporate corporate program job, uh, back to a pension, a salary, and a healthcare package, and you know, because it just would have felt like too many challenges. But um, but after the last sort of five years, you, you know, you sort of learned to operate within a new set of constraints and just make the best of it and be grateful that you've got options because so many people don't. Yes. Uh, in relevant, in, re- in reference to some of the things you, you mentioned and uh, the situation that we're talking about where, you know, you experience a huge loss. There is a, and I didn't know this until recently, I heard Jordan Peterson talking about it. 
but there is a uh, an ideology named an, uh, anti-natalism, which is basically uh, is against birth, human birth, because it's morally wrong according to this uh, ideology, um, because humans cause and experience so much suffering that in the eyes of an antinatalist, there's no uh, ethical, there's no ethical reason to, uh, to, to give birth to some life that will go through the same kind of suffering and cause the same kind of suffering, uh, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, if you have any kind of, I, I guess, uh, empathy and intelligence, you know, you kind of, you, you can't support something like that. And I, and you know, there are, for example, nihilism, you know, when you just don't see the point of life, you, you, you've experienced so much suffering that you, you feel like there's almost nothing to live for, if not anything. I, I, I mean, I get the idea behind these ideologies. Um, I understand that life is inherently difficult and there is just as much suffering as there is pleasure and, uh, you know, joy, but do you, do you feel like where we just don't have a good relationship with loss and negative aspects of life? Do you think that maybe there's something there as a lesson for all of us that if we were to just become more comfortable and I suppose, accept more that side of life, you know, maybe we would be able to, maybe we would be able to enjoy the opposite a lot more. Well, I think I'll be, I'll be better to answer this, this one. So before I met Ben or even, even after I met Ben, I didn't, I didn't want to have kids or I wasn't sure if I want to have kids because I was scared that what happened to me might happen to my kids as well. Mm -hmm. So all of these questions, like what if I also die at the age of 34? So my mom passed away at the age of 34 um, and got married to uh, the wrong person who won't take responsibility. And then we have kids and that kid will have to do what I did, you know, like undergo all through all the challenges that I've, I've did, I've experienced in my life. So there was a point in my life that I didn't want to have kids because I fear that I'm just bringing someone that will experience this difficult fate. So um, I was like that for a while. And then I met Ben, um, who proved me wrong. You know, he showed me everything opposite that uh, could happen to what I've experienced. So he's proven himself to be a very responsible person. He showed me that, you know, a different part of life that, you know what, you can have stability if you, you know, um, if you, you know, do this and make sure that you've got everything covered. So he, he showed me all of that, that, you know, it really depends on how you perceive the future. If people think that future is going to be gruesome and, and hard and difficult, then probably that's what you're going to project mm -hmm. on your kids. But if you were, if your projection is, I want to have a better life for my kids and I want to do this for them for the future, then that's probably 
where all your decisions gonna be directed to. So after meeting Ben, like what he said, I'm a very fiery character. You know, I always have that challenge. I know that I'm such stubborn person and, and I'm a fiery character. But Ben brings the balance in me. You know, he balances me out that, okay, you know, there's time for to be fiery. There's time to be, you know, you could just be providing a warmth and not fire. Um, so that's kind of what, what happened. And I realized that the moment I start projecting that, oh, my, my child is going to suffer the same faith. Uh, we're going to be so poor, you know, I'd have to, she, she or he will have to find four jobs. But then you realize, but I finished school, the partner that I, I married, I'm going to marry also showed a, a good disposition in life that he's not just going to abandon me. And he's proven that over and over again, you know, when I wanted to walk away from the relationship, he didn't give up, he, he moved, in fact, to the Philippines. Um, so that kind of slowly changed that, you know what, I can, I can, I can fight the darkness of the world by bringing in kids that would be the light to that darkness. Because mm-hmm. if we let the darkness just be dark, then it will just be dark. So as long as we are committed to bringing in kids and making the world a better world, then how, I, I always love this, this quote, um, change the world for the better than how you found it. Mm-hmm. So if, if we are committed to making that happen, not only in our lives, but to our kids, then, you know, I think the anti-natalism is, could, could be on, on the other side as well, right? There's darkness, yes, but there's also goodness. There can be darkness if, um, you know, yes, this, you there's light. And so, the other, yeah. 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 I, 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 I look back at my mum's my funeral as well, right? And, um, you know, like many other, like many other people, um, you know, I, I don't know when we made this transition as a sort of a race, especially in the UK, but, you know, the, uh, decades ago, funerals were, were sort of generally very sad affairs and everyone wore black and set played sad music, you know, and I think at some point over the last like 10, 15 years, the emphasis has completely transitioned to wanting to celebrate that individual's life and be positive about it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, remember them for all of the, the joy and the love and the happy times and the memories and that kind of thing. And, you know, I think that's a good, it's a fair, you know, I, I'm a very numbers driven person, right? So like I, I, I apply a mathematical mindset, even when you're not dealing with numbers themselves, but, you know, you know, throughout the land, even in the tough times that we're in right now, when funeral services are being out, I would imagine by far the majority of it's people celebrating a life. And so that, that means that, you know, net, net, you know, there were far more positive things that we want to remember and the joy that we've experienced. Right. And, uh, and, you know, yes, everyone has some tough times, right? You know, that everyone has to go through a negative point or a challenge or a difficult time um, uh, before, you know, they get to the end of their journey. Um, but, you know, if, if you, if you're positive and you, and you make the most of the opportunities that come to you, then you can make, you can make it by far away and that net positive. And I think to Kat's point as well, right? Like about uh, wanting to leave the world a better place, you know, that I think, especially with the uh, you know, risk of straying off into a much larger topic here, but let's just sort of keep it under wraps in that 
you know, with all the concern around the world about, you know, global warming and climate change and environmentalism, um, you know, a sort of a move away, I think, from a more consumerist kind of a culture. Um, you know, I think people are, are warming more and more as well. So not just taking every opportunity to live life for themselves and make a great life for themselves, but also to think about community and to think about making the world a better place than, you know, than you might do if you just did what you wanted to do. Um, and, um, uh, and volunteering and, um, using less plastic and all those examples of, you know, things that you can do. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think I fly in the face of, of that theory. I think it's just too much joy, too much love, too much positivity, um, and too many great experiences to be had, um, that far offset the negative. Mm. I don't know how to top that. That's the perfect point to uh, end the conversation. That's like the final thoughts of all of this. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to me about um, I would consider probably the most difficult things to talk about on, on, a, on a show like this. So I really appreciate both of your time. <laughs>